Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, folks, here we go. It's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, y'all, I'm David Summers, and here it comes. The story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession over 100 years ago. So now, let's step back into the ring and back into time with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller hanging out in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. What's going on, my friend Ron? Oh, doing great, man. Uh, uh, good to hear your voice, man. Uh, it's just been nice, beautiful weather. Uh, football's back. Uh, <laughs> wow, I don't know. Life is good. Man. Yes, man. When football kicked in, it seems like the weather kicked in too. I mean, just in the nick of time. Last night we were sixty-two. And I bet you guys were well below that. Yeah, we were at 51 last night. Wow. Uh, so that was uh, really nice to wake up to in the morning. And, uh, wow, it's uh, uh, humidity, <laughs> no humidity. So uh, it's quite a bit different than it is living down there in Tampa, <laughs> for sure. But, uh, I sure can't complain about it. I'm really, really enjoying it, man. Hey, I'm glad to sure. hear you. you are, of course, living the good lives and. Hey, we're we're living the good life here at least for this week because we'll stay in the low sixties or sixties at night, and then no rain until the weekend, maybe. So, but it's going to warm back up because it's South Alabama, and it's pretty much the same way there in Central Florida where you used to reside. So, anyway, I know you're enjoying the fall weather. All right, Stud. Last week, the last Studcast was absolutely huge. We've got to start this one with the results of that tremendous stud cast from last week. It covered the first ever interactive wrestling event, a mink coat and world championship tournament combined that not only set the all-time box office records for Southeastern, but it did the same with Studcast listeners too. After five years of Studcast, you broke the all-time record, Stud. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, I guess I didn't. You know, the fans did. <laughs> and, uh, yep. and I really appreciate that. I want to thank everybody, man, for listening and for making it the most popular studcast yet. And and also for their fantastic support uh, for what we do here, Dave. You know, and I'm really excited because uh, the best is yet to come, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I'm really happy about that. Uh uh, we talk. We're telling the story, my family's story. Right now, it's uh, it's basically me, and uh, we're in a time frame of my life that was absolutely wonderful and awful at the same time. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's crazy. But uh, yeah. you know, we're setting records every week. But we're about to head into the unthinkable, man. A wrestling territorial war. It was on the horizon, and uh, I know I had no idea, man, how it was going to change my life. That's mm. for sure. Mm. All right, so you were four years in as a successful wrestling territory owner in the last Studcast. Wait a second, I'm sorry, but you now had two successful territories, actually. I can't wait to hear all the information in the future Studcast about not only what we normally cover, but what happened in 1979 that, as you said, changed your life. Yeah. Yeah, big time. So, uh, you know, and I guess that's why in the last few studcasts, I've kind of started to scrape the surface a little bit mm -hmm. uh, about something ahead, uh, which we don't usually do. We just pretty much stick with the common where we are. 
But, uh, you know, I've got to kind of lay the groundwork and the foundation for what's about to happen in 1979. And, you know, it was the biggest fear of every wrestling company owner. Uh, and I had actually seen it happen firsthand. 1972 and 73 hmm. when the Georgia wrestling war began. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't my first experience with it, mm -hmm. but, uh, it was a lot nastier than, than the one that happened in Georgia. Hmm. Okay. Speaking of great studcast that changed history, you proved incorrect in studcast number 62, 63 and 64. One of the long held false statements about your family starting the Georgia wrestling war. Fans, by the way, can you can find those on those studcasts on your website at tnstud.com. tnstud.com, episodes number 62, 63, 64, absolutely free. You'll find them right there. It's a great example of where you actually proved your point and changed wrestling history. No doubt about it. All right, Stud, where do we ride today? Well, we're in, in the fall of 1978, uh, September to be exact, and you're right. I did have two territories, and they were both doing very well at that point. And we're going to look at, uh, at an upcoming card in both Southeastern, Southeastern territories the week before the interactive two nights in a row event and the last guest. And we're going to start this time in Southeastern Gulf Coast territory, which is normally uh, we start with the other territory. We're going to go down south uh, first this time. We're, we're going to see the best card yet that we had had down there. And the only TV show that week uh, that could be seen in every market, because uh, speaking of TV shows, I got some bad news. Uh, also, we're going to talk about uh, about Gordon Soley, mm -hmm. one of my commentators on the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV show. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to discuss that. And we'll talk about what it was on that TV. Uh, then we'll get the results of that card and the attendance. And then we're going to ride north, southeastern Knoxville, and uh, they had no TV in its largest market for the next two weeks. Wow, it was the most unusual circumstance, kind of popped up out of nowhere. And it did, have, however, have a live Knoxville event, even though there was no TV to promote it. So we're going to see what was on that card in Knoxville, the results of that event, and then we'll get the attendance for that one. And we're going to also spend some time today talking about Harley Race, the NWA world champion, who was coming very soon. The Southeastern Territory basically had grown not only in size, but a great deal in stature, uh, especially around the world. Uh, there was a lot of talk in wrestling about my two territory concept, since we were the only wrestling company in the world doing it. So, you know, I was doing something nobody else had ever done. And there was a lot of attention paid to it by, by promoters around the world. So the proof was really becoming big time uh, that we were at that point becoming big time. Uh, it, it couldn't have been more obvious because I had a small territory. I'd never gotten the NWA champion for more than one night at a time. And in 1978, Southeastern Wrestling had more than doubled its size and its weekly attendance. It was just a, a tremendous burst in growth, uh, yeah. picked up a second territory. Yeah. Uh, Sam Mutzig, National Wrestling Alliance president, awarded us four nights in late September uh, with the NWA champion Harley Race rather than the one that we had been getting. So uh, we set it up with two cities in the southeastern Gulf Coast. We're going to get two of those NWA title matches. Southeastern Knoxville was getting one title defense, and they were going to get one, one non-title match with the champion. And three out of the four cities I chose had never seen Harley wrestle. Pretty amazing. Uh, Southeastern wrestling as a whole was destined to make a lot of new fans that week when Harley came. And uh, so, uh, hmm. you know, we're going to talk a little bit uh, again about the, take a little deeper, deeper dive into that continuing story about what's going to happen, going to happen to Southeastern in 1979. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, we're going to see some of that because in this episode here, we got uh, some very important talent that's already switching territories in this stud cast. Oh, okay. So it sounds like another possible record breaker stud, no doubt. Do you think we're going to have time for a learning tree question? Get the audience involved a little bit as well. Do you think we got time for that? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I'm going to do my best, Dave. 
you know, answering and learning tree questions is one of my favorite things we do, man. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I love to do them, and, uh, and hopefully we'll get to one of those today. All right, so I'm sure everybody's ready to ride stud, so let's mount up, and where do we go first? Let's ride south, man, into southeastern Gulf Coast territory, and uh, that didn't get much attention the last stud cast. We spent uh, all of them, just about all the last stud cast in uh, Knoxville. So we're going to spend a lot of this one in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, we're going to be wrestling in the main arena there. They had two arenas on that site. Uh, they had the Expo Hall, and then they had the main arena, the big auditorium. And the event's going to take place on September 6, 1978. It's the biggest card yet in the territory, not just in Mobile, but in the territory. Seven matches are on this card, uh, three of which involved incoming stars from southeastern Knoxville. Uh, like I just said a minute ago, we're going we're gonna to bring some people south. Norvell Austin opened the night against Charlie Cook. That ought to tell everybody uh, how good the card is. If you've got an opening match like Norvell Austin and Charlie Cook, you know you're going to be looking at a good card. Then my brother Robert was making his first southeastern Gulf Coast appearance in nine years. Uh, he'd been there for two weeks, nine years earlier in 1969 when he started wrestling. Uh, Dad sent him over to the territory, the Gulf Coast territory. Uh, Lee Fields and the Fields brothers uh, owned the territory. And they sent him over there to get a little experience. And, uh, and that was in 1969. And uh, he wrestled uh, Eddie Sullivan on TV. And he accidentally broke Eddie Sullivan's leg. On television. Wow. 1969 <laughs> there in the Gulf Coast. So uh, on this night, uh, Rob's going to be facing a new heel in the territory, a guy named Lord Raven. Uh, since Tony Charles uh, had won the TV trophy in the tournament about a month earlier against Dr. D, David Schultz, these two had been having some phenomenal matches in every city that they've worked in. And uh, they're going to do it again on this particular card. The Southeastern Gulf Coast fans didn't know what they were in for. They were about to get their first look at one of the greatest wrestling heels in history and his famous manager in the next match. And that was the Mongolian Stomper, managed by gorgeous George Jr., was taking on the star from Georgia, Big Bill Dromo, who had been in Georgia off and on for a long time, great wrestler. But wow, he's wrestling somebody, something else in this one. Uh, so then Mobile fans were also going to get their first look in many years at another top hill, the bald-headed and black-gloved Don Carson <laughs> wrestling against Mike Stallings. Okay. It didn't look like the old Don Carson, <laughs> but he still was, you know. Yeah. They'd never seen the black glove before, so that was something new for all the fans down there in that part of the country. Then the Assassins, managed by Billy Spears, were taking on Rick Heaton and Robert Gibson in a Texas Death Rules tag match. And then the main event was me against Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, Bob Armstrong, in one of the first ever steel cage matches in southeastern Gulf Coast history. Uh, actually, I think it was the very first steel cage match in southeastern Gulf Coast history. Hmm. And the winner was going to face Harley Race, for the NWA world title 20 days later in that same big arena. Okay, so I see why you called it the best card yet in Southeastern Gulf Coast, Ron. Four new stars from Knoxville making their debut, a Texas Death tag match, a first cage match, with the winner of that match getting a shot at Harley Race for the world title. That's got to be a great TV as well to build the whole thing up. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, sheesh, you got a lot of new guys, too, along with everything else. So Bob Armstrong and I were ready to, to see just how south, just how far our territory, southeastern Gulf Coast, had come in seven months since we opened the doors in March of 1978. It was a super TV show that we're going to be talking about here, filled with new talent. Uh, and uh, they were being introduced in, the, in that part of the country. And, uh, and uh, like I said, some of them, like my brother, uh, the Mongolian Stomper, uh, fans down there had never seen before. So sadly, though, it was the last uh, TV Gordon Soley was going to be doing for Southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, he had been selected by Ted Turner and Georgia promoter Jim Barnett to host the new Georgia wrestling show there in Atlanta. 
And uh, then, you know, obviously that Atlanta market covered a lot more than just uh, Atlanta and yeah. outside Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. He, he was going he was going to take over the reins at, on WTBS in Atlanta, the first satellite TV station in the world. It yeah. was seen seen worldwide as, uh, you know, and this is about the time the world started discovering cable TV. <laughs> so, uh, so Gordon uh, would not work for, for our company again until 1985 when Southeastern Wrestling changed its name to Continental Wrestling and moved its uh, television production into the Boutwell Auditorium, brought in the big trucks, and started doing the uh, wrestling show that was the biggest in the country. And uh, obviously, we expanded uh, at that time frame from the Gulf Coast and Alabama, basically, mm-hmm. to almost the state of Ohio. Wow. All right. Were you aware that Gordon Soley was in these discussions with Jim Barnett and Ted Turner's WTBS station? Yes. Uh, Gordon and I, you know, we'd been very close friends and, uh, and it had been since the fall of 1970 when I started wrestling in, in Florida, uh, where Gordon was the man in that state uh, as far as TV wrestling was concerned. Uh, we both knew he was about to become the most recognizable wrestling commentator in the world. Uh, I knew that uh, they had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Wow. How are they going to get better than he was? Right. You know? Right. Uh, and uh, and uh, so uh, I was kind of anticipating it was going to happen, but uh, we were lucky to have that run. Uh, and Charlie Platt really loved it as well, being able to sit with Gordon and uh, and he learned some things from Gordon as well. And I bet, uh, I bet. Uh, it, it had been a nice run. Yeah. So both Bob Armstrong and I, man, we're going to end up in 1982. Every other year, we're going to trade booking with Robert. And uh, so Rob's going to be uh, booking in 1981. And in 1982, first opportunity to really get a chance, we both left the territory. We actually went to work in the Georgia territory, specifically to get that worldwide exposure from appearances on that uh, satellite television, man. And it would eventually lead to my running matches in the Caribbean and on the Cayman Islands. <laughs> All right, so I never, I never cease to be amazed at your history in this sport. Now the Cayman Islands, so I'm sure we're going to find out more about that sometime in the future. But right now, what was on this last Southeastern Gulf Coast TV that Gordon would be doing with Charlie Platt? Well, like I said, man, it is a tremendous TV. So it, it opened with the Assassins and Billy Spears at the set with Gordon and Charlie. And the last studcast, we didn't cover anything from the southeastern Gulf Coast, including the TV show. So I want to remind fans, two, two, two episodes ago uh, on the TV show, Spears had put up his own hair against the tag belts of the Gibson brothers. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're going to get to right straight to those results. He's at the set, and uh, Billy was all aglow, man. His, uh, his big black you know, his big men uh, in black, uh, they were both dressed in those black outfits. Wow. And uh, they had the belts back and they were wearing them proudly, standing behind him. And there was uh, Spears sitting between Gordon Soley and Charlie Platt. They watched the video of that hair versus belts match with the devious Spears man getting involved, steal the belts again, hmm. uh, and he, as he had done uh, just about all of the, every time his team had lost them, he got them back pretty quickly. And he stole them from the very popular Pensacola-born Gibson brothers. Man. <laughs> Two great wrestlers out of Pensacola. Yeah. So uh, Charlie brought up the fact the Gibsons had been turned down now for a return match by Billy Spears for the champion tag championship. But then Spears made the point that his champions would wrestle them. Uh, they weren't going to uh, totally uh, not give them a shot at it. They were going to wrestle them in a Texas Death Rules tag match, but that wouldn't be for the belts. But then he threw in, if the Gibsons can win this tag match for Texas death rules, uh, I'll give them, we'll give them a title shot. So the studio crowd, you know, they didn't like the idea much, uh, you know, about him not putting the belts up in the tag match. And this first tag match, uh, so nor Billy Spears and his assassins, man, they didn't like them much either. And, uh, and boy, they did get real happy, though, with their favorite team and started out the first match of the show. The Gibson brothers, them boys, were really over. 
and uh, they popped the studio when they left the dressing room, went to the ring, and then they showed their tag skills in the match, which they really were a great team and uh, great wrestlers, both of them. Yeah, one of them goes on to be on one of the greatest teams in the history of the sport. And uh, they won a double, double one with a double pin. They pinned both their opponents at the same time. Pretty unusual. And then uh, both teams and Billy Spears made their first interviews in the show. Uh, they did not mention any cities in particular. This great mobile card was also the same card in Montgomery that week. And it was going to produce new record crowds in both of those cities. So the bald head in the black glove, Don Carson, enraged the studio crowd, calling them all the bad names he could think of. As he was being introduced in the ring, he already had them screaming and hating him. You know, <laughs> he was in the next live match. And his opponent on the upcoming event that uh, he was booked in was Mike Stallings. <laughs> Mike Stallings joined Charlie Gordon at the set uh, for comments about uh, – about his next opponent. He's going to have the chance to talk about Don Carson. And he knew that Don Carson had been wearing a black glove for a long time because he had come to, he'd come out of the Knoxville territory, Mike Stallings uh, to go South. So when Carson finished his opponent and he did uh, with an introduction man to the taste of his peanut butter glove uh, before the commercial break, Another former Gulf Coast star, Gorgeous George Jr., got introduced. Okay, and uh, now Gigi had wrestled there <laughs> years earlier, but this time he was not going to be in the ring. He was there to introduce his monster, the Mongolian Stomper, Stomper via the video, and uh, and we used one of those spectacular specials we produced in Knoxville about the Stomper. I guess a, a lot of fans have probably seen that. If they haven't, uh, it's on the uh, streaming channel as well. You can see that uh, that video. Hmm. And, uh, and there's about five minutes of matches with the Stomper absolutely demolishing opponents. It even had the very, very impressive uh, segment on there of GG breaking the concrete block with a sledgehammer on Stomper's head in 1977. Wow. And that was in this video. Yeah. And uh, when he did, uh, Stomper, Stomper, uh, he, he, he almost jumped to his feet. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't really, it didn't phase him much, man, getting mm -hmm. hit in the head with a sledgehammer and breaking a concrete <laughs> block on him. I could tell from the studio audience reaction that they were blown away. When it was finished, they instantly started talking to each other. You can always mm -hmm. tell that with wrestling fans. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a buzz going on over there in the bleachers, man, about what they'd just seen. It was the first time any of them had ever seen the Mongolian Stomper. And I could only imagine what those people at home were thinking, man. You know, I knew they were buzzing in the studio. Oh. I got a feeling they were buzzing at homes all across that area. Too. Well, what do you think they were thinking at that moment, Ron? Uh, well, I was thinking, you know, what Jim Barnett, the former Australian promoter and the guy that's, you know, that Gordon Soley is going to work for the next mm -hmm. week would have said about it. Oh, he would, and he would have said, <laughs> I can say nothing but money, money, money. <laughs> I love that line. All right. OK, so who was on the profile stud? Well, we were going to throw throw the TV audience and me a little curveball. Uh, and uh, it was live, and I was out there alone with Gordon and Charlie and my belt. I was bragging about how I was going to win the upcoming cage match against Mr. Goody Two Shoes, Bob Armstrong, and then I was going to beat the NWA World Champion Harley Race when he got there, and, and it was only going to be a couple of weeks before I was going to get all of this done. And then I had everybody in the studio kind of going crazy, calling them names and making fun of all the rednecks and, the, you know, the the, the whatever <laughs> type of insults I, I, I could that came into my head. And, uh, and then I told them, uh, you know, I stood up <laughs> and I'd been sitting down in the chairs because we always did those profiles sitting down. And I stood up, I uh, had my belt with me, and I put it over my head, and, uh, you know, and I looked over there at the people in the bleachers, and I said, when I beat Harley Race and I get that world title belt, the 10 pounds of gold, I'm going to sail my yacht out in the Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> and I'm going to throw this piece of crap belt here into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so they really went nuts on that. You know? And then I sat back down. I was laughing at the studio crowd. I was having a real good time. And then Charlie says, Ron, you know, and right away when he called me Ron, I stopped him instantly. And, you know, I was having a good time. And I said, you know, Charlie Platt, I said, you're not even a friend of mine. You you don't need to use my given name. You can call me Stud. <laughs> <laughs> so he started over again. <laughs> he said, you know, Stud, we got a special guest for you today. <laughs> and, then, and then Gordon says, you know, you know, most people watching probably don't know who this person is. But thankfully, he says, he's about an exact opposite of what you are. Uh-oh. So as soon as he said that, Robert came walking out of the dressing room on the, you know, uh, out of the uh, baby face dressing room. Uh, Obviously, uh, I'm in the hills dressing room. I don't know. He's even there. And he's got his tights on. And he's ready to wrestle. And, and Gordon was right. There was really no reaction to him from the studio crowd because most of them had never seen him. He'd mm -hmm. only been there nine years earlier and for two weeks. So, yeah, uh, yeah. no, it changed quite a bit. A lot better wrestler, too, no doubt. <laughs> so then Gordon introduced him as Robert Fuller, my younger brother. And Rob wasted no time, man. He tore right into me, you know, <laughs> saying, saying he'd heard about what an ass I was making of myself down here. <laughs> he was, and he asked the fans if they'd forgive me about my egomaniac self. <laughs> mm -hmm. I couldn't help myself. I've always been that way. And I mean, uh, so then they got a kind of got a laugh out of that, right? They, they didn't know what to expect. He's my brother. They don't know whether he's like me or whether, whether he's not. So then he explained to the audience that he had no resemblance to me in any way. And he was disgusted to see what kind of a man I had become, especially down in this part of the country. Because, you know, and he said, that is no wonder that uh, we didn't talk to each other. You know, so that we don't even communicate, me and him, you know, and that mm -hmm. we had absolutely nothing in common. And uh, this time they liked it better. They kind of popped on that one. Well, mm -hmm. good. this guy's a different type of dude, you know. Yeah. And then he said, uh, you know, I'm here now to kind of clean up the family name, show people what kind of a man our father was. And then he pointed the finger at me and he says, uh, you know, you're going to make a, you, you've been making a horrible impression on these fans. And he goes, uh, and uh, I'm here to change all that. And they got another pop. So uh, I've had enough, man. <laughs> I, I, just, I jumped up, man. And I started screaming at Gordon and Charlie, asking them, well, what's going on here, man? What is he doing here? You know, why didn't you guys tell me what was happening here? Why didn't you say something about this? Yeah, I don't want my brother here. I told him he's he's no better than Mister Goody Two Shoes, Bob That's Armstrong. Exactly what I'm I was thinking. Guy, right? Oh my God! You know? Yeah. And yeah. so they couldn't help start smiling at each other as the bell rang. Bell rang for the next match, which I always followed the profile. And Rob went right on into the ring. And uh, when they got up and uh, went back to the set, and I followed them. I was screaming and asking questions all the way to the set. You can still pick it up on the. On the, mm -hmm. on the video. Yeah. So then Rob's opponent got in the ring and the bell rang and uh, I was still screaming at Charlie and Gordon at the set. Rob quickly, man, showed fans the difference between him and I. Uh, he made clean breaks when the referee asked on mm -hmm. the ropes. Uh, mm -hmm. He didn't use any shortcuts. He did lots of great wrestling moves and he won with the fuller leg lock. And he also got a standing ovation from the studio crowd and probably watching those people who's watching at home as well. This Fuller guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. That's a great way to introduce your exact opposite. Clean cut, clean shaven. Fans are going to love him. I can see nothing but money, 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 Ron. Hey, wait just a minute here, Dave. What? You know, I mean, <laughs> who's, whose host are you, man? You know, clean shaven and uh, uh, you know, want to love him, man. I, you may yeah, be on the wrong team, man. Yeah, I bet you and your brother have walked in those shoes before, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, actually three times, uh, I guess, to be honest with you at this uh -huh. point. Uh, we in Memphis Territory back in 1975, I was a heel. And he was a baby face. Uh, they loved him. And the guys, they hated me. And, and again, in southeastern Knoxville, 
1975. When I went there in 74, I started healing. That's where I picked up the name, the Tennessee Stud. And uh, and then later in 1975, in the same year that uh, I'd been doing that in the Memphis Territory, uh, Rob came in and uh, yeah, and uh, and we had a change of heart. I had a change of heart. And uh, now everywhere, 1978, Southeastern Gulf Coast. So Rob had yet to be a heel. And, and so had my cousin Jimmy Golden in their wrestling careers. And both of those guys started before I did. So uh, Jimmy is going to get there for the first time in the next year, in 1979, right there in uh, Knoxville. He's going to turn heel for the first time in his career. And Robert, however, never turned heel until the Continental Wrestling TV show of August 17th, 1985 in Birmingham, Alabama. And oddly enough, Gordon Soley was the commentator in that match. Wow. It's going to be his last commentator match on this program. And he was the commentator in that one. All right. I think I know that TV show very well. I just watched it a few days ago on your streaming channel, classiccontinentalwrestling.com. It was episode eight, if I'm not mistaken, of the great Continental Wrestling TV show series. He was in a cage match against you and Jimmy, and his partner was Bob, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, Bob Armstrong, that had to be one of the greatest heel turns in wrestling history, maybe. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad you brought that thing up, Dave, as a matter of fact, because mm-hmm. this very TV and this studcast has a great deal of similarities to that Continental one. Uh, with Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, Bob Armstrong, uh, was in the last uh, live match uh, on this Southeastern Gulf Coast TV show. Uh, and uh, he tore the house down, man, as usual. And then uh, the last interview, he topped even that. Uh, I started the last interview in the show from another studio. Uh, I was on that interview because we're going to be in a cage match in a couple of cities in uh, Montgomery and also in uh, D- D- Mobile. And so I started out the interview in a, in a separate studio. And, uh, and the Mr. Goody Two Chews uh, was, like I said, the last match. Uh, and, and then he, they, they pulled another one on me. I started the last interview in the show. Uh, I talked about my upcoming cage match with Bob Armstrong to see who's going to wrestle Harley Race for the NWA world title. And when they cut away to Bob, he was standing there with his arm around my low-life brother, Robert. You know, and they bragged about being, you know, the Georgia, former Georgia tag team champions. Uh-huh. They had won them together. And then Mr. Goody Two Shoes made all these wonderful statements of how great Rob was compared to me. <laughs> he does this better than his brother. He does that better than his brother. Oh, my and, God. Uh, the studio audience was going crazy, man. And so was I, man. I couldn't help but be yeah. screaming as they were doing their interview. I was screaming in another part of the building. You know, yeah. like, what the heck are y'all doing here? You know, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Goody Two Shoes now knew how to push your buttons. So, all right, but listen, you guys were absolutely on top of your game. This may have been the best Southeastern Gulf Coast TV so far, stud. It sounds like Bob got your brother over big time in his first appearance ever in Southeastern Gulf Coast. I know this TV was going to produce really produce a big night at the box office. So let's talk about results of the matches on that great card. But Norville Austin man was really getting there uh, with his heat. He, he was getting over, man. At this point, uh, uh, you could see that uh, Norvell was, had a big future there. And he got another win again over Charlie Cook. And uh, Charlie Cook was a darn good wrestler, and uh, you didn't get a lot of wins over him. And I think Norvell was pretty much taking him every, every time they wrestled. Uh, Robert who was in the second match, got a standing ovation in every building that week. I watched him leave the dressing room just to see the reaction. And, uh, and he got that ovation as soon as he came out of the dressing room. And he got another one after he went back to the dressing room. And he got a win over this new kid, uh, Lord Raven. Uh, the Mongolian stompers look a lot. You know, the, the, the way Stomper looked just scared the heck out of people. And that look alone kind of freaked out everybody in all the buildings all week long, every place he went. And the fans were running away from him on his way to the ring with gorgeous George Jr. trying to hold him back. 
And uh, then he stomped his way to victory every night uh, over the Georgia Star, Big Bill Dromo. And, uh, and then he created pure panic in the arena on his way back to the dressing room every night. He would make these charges at the crowd, into the crowd, you know, and Gigi uh, trying to hang on his back and drag him off uh, and trying to control him as best he could. It was like the Bruiser Brody style in Japan, but it was long before Brody ever did this. And uh, as with all the great heel stars, the Stomper man got over in his first night. And the string of great matches just kept going in the, on this card. And uh, Carson had a tremendous match with Mike Starlings. And at the end of it, he left him laying, left him uh, laying. And, you know, he, he got an opportunity to load up his peanut butter when the ref's back was turned. And uh, he put him out with the, the peanut butter. Pardon me. And he put him out with the peanut butter. And it was one of his first matches in years there. Uh, but the police had to get around him on the way to the dressing room. He had already in his first night there got a tremendous amount of heat. Uh, Tony Charles and David Schultz, they had another classic match. Tony was on fire as a baby face. He got another close win over David Schultz, who was fast becoming the top heel in anybody's territory in the country. He was obviously going to become a Hall of Famer. Texas death tag match was the only tag match on the card, and it had the building standing for almost all of it. The Gibsons won the match, and they got that opportunity, another tag match uh, for the championship the following week. And then the cage match between me and Bob Armstrong for a shot at Harley race was easy, man. After a night of matches like that, I mean, the fans were so turned on and uh, and they were really ready for it. Uh, when fans sit and watch them put that cage together, uh, something about a cage match, you know, and uh, mm. just seeing them put the cage together, the fans, by the time the bell rang and you were in that cage, they were always really ready. Mm. And a night like this, they were really ready. Uh, in the match, we were both bleeding, and I was about to put him away, man. Uh, I kind of, you know, got a little something out of my trunk. So, I mean, you know, I cut the corners a little bit, and uh, and I, I got him with it, and I had covered him, and the ref had started to count. And I looked up, and who's there banging on the outside of the cage but my funky brother, man? <laughs> no? Uh, and so – I thought Mr. Goody Two-Shoes was done. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even trying to kick out. He was <laughs> finished, you know. Mm -hmm. So I got up, man, and I went over to where my brother is creating all this crap. And, uh, and I motioned for him to get his butt back to his own dressing room. And uh, that's about all it took for Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. He just kind of slid over there behind me, schoolboard me over, over his backwards, over his body, and he, and he got the three count. Boy, the building exploded, man. Wow. All right. So your brother was a pretty good distraction on that. Help Mr. Goody two shoes out. That isn't, that's an incredible night of matches. All right. You said this, this same card was also in Montgomery. How many fans were in each of those cities on this same card? That's going to be interesting to hear if you've got that. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, you know, cause, uh, uh, I kind of keep these figures around so that I can, I can, uh, quickly, uh, Quickly grab whatever you need so far as figures. Uh, and they both set new records, both of those towns. Montgomery, uh, the city where we had to give the money back to the fans the first two times that we tried to run it yeah. back in April, yeah. 1978. You remember that? Yeah. You know, and because there wasn't enough people in the building to run to have a match, you know. That that situation had turned around from April of 1978. There was 4,000 fans there in Montgomery that night in a beautiful building. That Civic Center there was a beautiful building. And then Mobile was in the main arena again. Uh, and that was the larger of the two buildings that sat on the same property in downtown Mobile. Uh, the city of Mobile had been run. This is pretty amazing. I look back uh, to see exactly how many times uh, the city of Mobile had been run fewer times than any other major city in the territory. And if everybody will think back, uh, especially those that listen to this studcast, mm -hmm. we had lost that TV station for almost a month oh, back yeah. in April of uh, 1978. That's right. Because of uh, David Schultz and the watermelon. Yeah. 
Sure. Right? Right. Yeah. So this was only the 16th event in southeastern Gulf Coast history uh, for Mobile, and it broke the 7,000 fan level. Wow. So it was right up there with Knoxville's biggest crowd ever in 16 events. Wow. That's big time. All right, and that is a great first half of this studcast, Ron. I tell you what, let's take our break right here. When we come back, we're going to find out what was going on in the same week in southeastern Knoxville. That's coming up when this studcast continues right here. Get the hottest old school wrestling site on the planet, the Stud Streaming Channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Gets you over 130 original Southeastern Continental and USA TV shows with many more to come. 40 stud stories, three great two-hour documentaries, five stars of the sport, Four superstars of the past, classic continental and Gulf Coast matches, and the only audio version of his fantastic lion story, Brutus, chapter by chapter with him doing the voices of four characters. There's nothing like this site. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Get the special one-week free trial now. Okay, Studcast fans, welcome back in segment number two, episode number 267. It's called Knoxville Stars Head to Gulf Coast. We've had an exciting first half. Let's see where we go in the second half because everything is really cooking down south. So tell us what was happening in southeastern Knoxville, Ron. Okay, uh, in last week's record-breaking Studcast, we talked about losing our Knoxville TV for two straight weeks in a row. And this is one of those two weeks. We didn't have a TV show, but we still felt like uh, me and Rob talked about it. We still felt kind of compelled, man, to run at least one of those weeks to keep the fans' attention. And so uh, also, uh, as I said last week, we had to give up one of the two Friday nights that we had scheduled in the Coliseum because we didn't have those two TV shows and we didn't want to try to run two weeks without TV. So we gave up a Friday night. So this was going to be the Friday night in the Coliseum that we're going to be running without any TV to help us kind of promote it. Uh, So something that we're going to try something that we had never done before. We decided we had two Friday nights. We decided we're going to keep the first one and not the second one. And so we're we're going to talk about that card for that Friday night in which we did not even have a television program. We actually had a TV. Uh, we produced a TV show, but we sent it out to the Johnson City Station, to the Hazard, Kentucky, and to the Crossville, Tennessee market. Uh, but uh, it was never seen in the Knoxville market, these two shows. So uh, it is going to be a Friday night uh uh, with no TV, and, uh, you know, obviously we were very concerned about what kind of crowd we were going to have. I mean, you know, without television, you're really, really, uh, you're in a world of hurt if you're trying to run a wrestling program. Oh, no doubt. All right, so what about the card for Friday night, September 8th, 1978, the Knoxville Coliseum that had no TV to even promote it? Okay, so Rick Connors opened it up. Uh, wrestling against Ted Allen. Uh, Ron Slinker took on Gorgeous George Jr. A newcomer and a pretty good worker, Terry Gibbs, uh, had just come into that territory and he squared off with the Mongolian Stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And then there was a special six-man tag on this card, Jimmy Golden, Kevin Sullivan, and Rip Smith, three great young stars on that team, versus the Southeastern Tag Champions, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson and Bob Root was going to partner with those two guys. And uh, they were all three managed, obviously, by uh, um, Ron Wright. And uh, in the Southeastern Championship match, the last match on that card, the great Malenko was defending his title against Ronnie Garvin. And you're going to notice that uh, Robert wasn't on the card. He was wrestling on TV for the first time following day in Southeastern Gulf Coast. We just talked about that show. Uh, the Mongolian Stomper was on this on this card with his manager, Gorgeous George Jr., but both of those were headed down to Southeastern 
uh, the next day. In fact, uh, Gorgeous George Jr. was on that TV show the next day down in uh, in Dothan, Alabama. But the Stomper didn't. He wasn't on the on this card. We decided to use that special that we talked about earlier. So you'll notice uh, uh, that uh, it, there's a, there's some new talent headed there, man. Quite a bit of good talent too. Okay, so what I hadn't realized was that Robert, the Stomper, and Gorgeous George Jr. were being sent south to work down there. There had to be some guys leaving Gulf Coast to take their place in Knoxville, right? Yeah, we were doing our first major major uh, switch of talent from the north to the south. And uh, yes, so, so this was the first of many talent changes that were coming, man. Uh, pretty soon, uh, Charlie Cook and Mike Stallings are going to be heading north to southeastern Knoxville. They're going to disappear from down there. Uh, Ken Dillinger uh, and uh, the new star men uh, are a great star. He's not a new star to Knoxville. He's going to Ken Dillinger and uh, Tora Tanaka are going to join that Knoxville crew, be added there to Knoxville. So one of the benefits of the two-territory system uh, was going to be pretty darn clear uh, during the, the next few weeks. Uh, people are going to see it happening. Uh, you know, Knoxville is going to be dark, uh, meaning not running at all the next Friday night. So Dothan, uh, which also ran on Friday nights, uh, just like Knoxville, but down in the Southern Territory, they're going to get four big stars from Knoxville, uh, Robert Fuller, the Mongolian Stomp, Gorgeous George Jr. and Don Carson all going to be on that card. And in addition to that four, for the first time ever, we're going to send a Southeastern Tag Championship match down south to Dothan and add it to that big card in Dothan. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Golden and Kevin Sullen were going to wrestle against the champions, Dennis Condry and Phil Eckerson, with Ron Wright managing uh, – uh, and all four of these guys uh, are going to be seen in, in that part of the country down there. And none of these guys had ever been seen down there before. Mm. So, so they're going to go, uh, they're going to dinner. Then the next, as soon as that match is over the following Friday night, uh, they're going to leave and go back to Knoxville to be on the Knoxville television the next Saturday morning. It's going to be the Saturday morning TV mm-hmm. that's going to promote that upcoming world championship card there. So Southeastern Gulf Coast was going to return the favor to Knoxville. And on the NWA title night, Rob's going to go to Knoxville from down south. Stomper's going to go to Knoxville. Gigi's going to go to Knoxville. And I'm going to go to that Knoxville card for the NWA title match there. And then they're going to send us some people down for the NWA title match when Harley comes down south. Hmm. All right. That's kind of fascinating how you're laying all this out and how the, the switch and arrangements were made. I'm beginning to see how having two territories was making sense. So what were, what about the results of the Knoxville card that you just talked about? Well, Ted Allen won over Rick Connors. Uh, Ron Slinker beat Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, Terry Gibbs obviously didn't beat the Mongolian star. Uh, he was he was a pretty good talent, uh, this boy, Terry, but uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't ready to get that done. Jimmy Golden, Kevin Sullivan, and Rip Smith, they won the six-man tag against Condry, Hickerson, and Bob Roop. And uh, there wasn't a winner in the Ronnie Garvin and the Great Malenko Southeastern Championship match. The match was stopped. There was no winner. Okay, so what about attendance? for the card that had, believe it or not, no TV at all to promote it? Well, it wasn't that bad, Dave. We we really, uh, you know, Rob and I discussed it quite a bit. Uh, we made guesses. We were both guessing somewhere in the 3,000s. And we actually had 4,500 fans wow. without a television. Wow. So, so uh, it just told me, man, instantly when we had 4,500 there with no TV, that uh, the next card has got the NWA World Champion Harley Race on it, defending the world title. Mm-hmm. He's got people coming from the South combined with the Northern mm-hmm. group. That this Coliseum was not big enough. Wow! Uh, we just uh, we needed a bigger building. Uh, two weeks later, for the big match with Harley Race. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, listen, I can't believe we're going to have enough time for a learning tree question, stud, but we are. This one came from Alan Drury. He asked, were other territories around the country doing angles with family members like the one just done with Jimmy Golden's father? Was he actually hurt? And who, if any, are some of the other family members that will get involved in the future? Well, that's a great question, you know. Uh, and uh, we're talking about a few weeks back when uh, Jimmy Golden uh, and Bob Roop were wrestling for the Southeastern Tag Championship. And, uh, and out of the clear blue, Bob Roop turned heel. Uh, and uh, I, I'm sure he got some bread from Ron Ridefort. And, uh, and, uh, and he, uh, he, he hurt Jimmy a little bit, but he hurt his dad a lot worse, man. He put the shoulder breaker on his dad. Uh, I'm sure that's exactly what this one, he's talking about the question here. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, got to thank you, Mr. Drury. That's a great question. Uh, so let's start with the first, first part of the question. And the first question, I guess, about other territories doing angles with family members, uh, uh, family members of the wrestlers that were in the territory. And I don't know for sure what many other territories did uh, in that regard. I only worked two territories, Dave, in, in my life, <laughs> two territories full time <laughs> in my career. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so Georgia, I worked for six months in uh, 1970, yeah. from about May until uh, close to uh, November. And uh, I worked the Florida Territory from 1970 until 1974. Hmm. And in the fall of 1974, I started my own wrestling company and I never worked full time for another territory again. So obviously I don't know about uh, what other territories did, Mr. Drury. And mm. I can't, I can't say if they did the type of things that we did. I do remember a few angles involving family members that were not former wrestlers in two territories. And I did work uh, full time, uh, you know, and I don't remember any angle that in, that they did in Georgia and uh, maybe only one in Florida. And I can't really recall uh, how that all went down. So, you know, but I, I will say I brought my father in on several occasions to work angles in which, you know, uh, we needed heat on people or whatever, uh, you know, and uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and in one of those particular matches, I brought my dad in. He actually got hurt pretty darn bad and uh but my father was a former wrestler so when he got hurt it didn't have the impact of something like the injury to my cousin jimmy's father bill golden uh, because bill had never wrestled in his life you know so fans kind of expected uh you know you if your family member is a wrestler he, he should be able to take care of himself but in jimmy's case he didn't have Bill in the ring. He had Bill standing in the corner, and Bill ended up getting hurt. So my brother was doing the same booking uh, during during the time Bill Golden came in for the angle with Bob Root, and Root turned heel that night on Jimmy and his father, and uh, Bill did get hurt. The answer to your question, Mr. Drury, Bill did get hurt, uh, bad enough to be taken to the hospital for x-rays. Uh, spent the night in the hospital. Uh, and the shoulder breaker move that Bob Root did put on him that night was actually a shooting maneuver, man. And, and it was such a dangerous move that it was difficult not to hurt somebody with it. You know, uh, I don't know why they decided, you know, Root was going to do that to him, but should have realized, you know. And I wasn't there in Knoxville that night, <laughs> you know, when it happened. I was down south in Dothan. Might have uh, might have had uh, been there said, no. I don't think you need to try that, old Bill. Uh, but being I was down south in the Gulf Coast Territory, and many times uh, former wrestling promoters uh, like Bill Golden, who had been a promoter uh, for many, many years, uh, he was willing to do anything for the business, you know, because the wrestling business had done so much for him, you know. And uh, so Bill also wanted to help his son get over, and everyone in the sport respected that, you know. You, everybody you know, if you were a family member, you wanted your, you wanted, uh, you wanted your son to do well, especially when it was your son. So Bill put himself in a very bad position there, and it didn't work out. So uh, I'm sure Root was sorry for the injury, uh, but thankfully, uh, you know, it it wasn't as bad as it could have been. It, it could have been a whole lot worse. So uh, 
Bob Roof did one more angle in southeast of Knoxville, uh, Mr. Dre, that I can think of right off the top of my head. And he did this one when he was booking, uh, and he's going to become the booker. He's just about to become the booker in this episode. In fact, where Rob is now down south, and I'm down south, and uh, I've kind of at this point put Bob Roop in charge of southeastern Knoxville. Uh, so in 1979, he was in charge as a booker, and, uh, and he did an angle with Kevin Sullivan, and Kevin Sullivan's father came down from Boston. And uh, Kevin's father uh, had absolutely no experience with anything to do with professional wrestling. So when he actually came down to visit Kevin, but when he got there, Bob Roop uh, sat in the dressing room and, and talked to him and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and Bob decided to get him involved. Uh, and, and his Kevin's dad uh, wanted to do something to help Kevin to get him over better so he could make more money, you know. And, uh, and he, he said, hey, I'll do it. I'll do whatever, man. Uh, let me help my, help my son, you know. So Kevin's father ended up getting his eye busted in this particular deal that he got in. But uh, it wasn't any worse than that. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was you know, uh, you know, I just thought of another one, too. Mm-hmm. I had a good friend named Bob Polk uh, who lived in Knoxville. He was from Knoxville. And he got involved in the wrestling business with us uh, when not. Continental came back to Knoxville in 1985 after the war, and we all left in 1979. 1985, we came back with Continental Wrestling, and Bob Pope was the guy that got us on a television station in Knoxville again. And uh, he was involved in USA Wrestling with me in 1988, and he was a partner with me even in my hockey days. So uh, he was never a wrestler. He was a guy that was never a wrestler. But he did recruit one of the best young wrestlers ever, a guy named Doug Furness. And uh, Doug Furness was a former fullback for the University of Tennessee football team and legitimately one of the strongest men on the planet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he squatted with a thousand pounds. Good God. So think about that. Yeah. Uh, and wow. Uh, you know, uh, Furness was. And, and Furnace, uh, you know, Bob was friends with him, and he, you know, he 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 got Furnace into being trained, and uh, you know, but Furnace really didn't know much about what was going on, and uh, he was sitting at the announcers' table for a Continental Cage match in Knoxville in 1987. I think it might have been one in which uh, Kevin Sullivan and his headhunters were in the ring with me and Jimmy Golden and Rob uh, in a cage match, and. Uh, so uh, Bob Point, uh, you know, Bob Polk at that point, you know, uh, uh, he was really tight with Doug, Doug Furnace, and uh, he ended up in the cage because they opened the cage door, and I can't remember exactly how all this got started, but uh, there was some fight still going on in the cage, and Bob Polk got close enough that uh, Kevin Sullivan drug him into the ring, and, uh, and he busted his eye, uh, you know, and uh, so, you know, Kevin was a crazy dude, you know. And then after he got Bob in there and he had busted his eye, uh, the cage door got locked back again. And uh, Bob's in there bleeding, and Doug's sitting right there at ringside, just feet away from the cage, and sees his buddy busted up, and he really don't know what the hell to do, but he wants to do something. So he runs around and he goes to the door of the cage. He's really concerned about Bob. Uh, so, and when he gets to the door of the cage, he found the cage door was locked. And uh, this is crazy. I'll never forget this because I saw him do this. The whole building saw him do this. He was so strong and he was so intent on helping his friend. He literally ripped the door off the cage. I'd never seen that before and never would again. Rip the door off the he cage. Tore the door off the cage. Wow! And threw it out on the floor. <laughs> so, 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 and uh, Kevin Sullivan's in the cage, and he sees this. <laughs> and so, so when Doug gets inside the cage, then he went for Kevin Sullivan because Kevin had busted Bob's eye, <laughs> and, uh, and Kevin had just seen. Doug Furness, who really didn't know what was going on, 
and ripped the door off the cage. And I never saw Kevin Sullivan move that fast in my life. Wow. <laughs> Kevin Sullivan shot out of that cage, dive face first out on the concrete to get away from Doug Furness. Wow. So I guess that's a good way to end this one for you, Mr. Drury. But, uh, you know, thanks again for your question. And uh, and hopefully, uh, Dave, we can get to another one of these next week. Yeah, I bet we can. And I think just instantly, like, boom, like that, Doug Furness is suddenly over. Man, yet another great one, Ron. Every time I think we've done the best studcast yet, like last week, you kind of changed my mind on that a little bit. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. But now... Harley Race is coming very soon for four total nights, a first in Southeastern history. I cannot wait for that. All right, folks, listen up on Facebook. The Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page is full of friends. No more can be added to that page. To become friends with Ron, you can go to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page, like him and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend. One is Ron Fuller Welch. Run, one is Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud page is the one you can get on. Follow him at Ron Fuller Welch on Twitter, on the website. It's tnstud.com. It's famous. tnstud.com. That's the website of Ron Fuller Welch. It has everything. Every studcast ever done, including those three mentioned in today's show. Number 62, 63, and 64 about Ron's family history in the Georgia Wrestling War. 43 three-hour super stud caster there also. They're only $2.99 each, and they are some re- there's some really terrific shows. Shop the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs, personally autographed photos, t-shirts, and the thrilling lion novel, which is called Brutus. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. It's a great place to find your stud cast each week, as well as up-to-date info on Ron's fantastic streaming channel, at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Brutus now has seven chapters on there. Seven chapters. Ron's own audio version of Brutus with him doing four characters and a new chapter added each week. There are now 74 Southeastern TV shows there. 74, y'all. Every one from 1978 through 1982 and now in their original order of production. 23 Continental TV shows. 23 USA TV shows, 40 stud stories, five stars of the sport, four superstars of the past, and so much more. It's only the beginning. Subscribe now at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Knock it out one time and save some big bucks. It's the best old school streaming site on the planet. Don't miss this special offer right now for a limited time. Get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. You will be so glad you did. All right, Stud, that's a lot to keep up with. I don't know how you do it, but where do we ride next week? Well, we're going to spend a lot of time in the southeastern Gulf Coast because Knoxville was waiting, as I said, on the arrival of the NWA world champion. Didn't have a television. uh, Didn't even have an event. Uh, and the Gulf Coast was absolutely on fire, man. Uh, and we had all this new talent arriving there. And uh, Mobile uh, had already matched the all-time biggest crowd in Knoxville history in 16th in its 16th event. So, wow, things were down there were just in a six-month period of time. It was truly amazing. I don't think any territory had ever seen that type of growth. Uh, Dothan, Alabama. It's going to be the focus for the next one. And another, it'll have another of the best cards in wrestling history, uh, including the first time ever Southeastern Knoxville defense of their tag belts in the Southern Territory, 500 miles to the South. It'll also have a cage match. It'll also have the introduction of eight new stars in one night in Dothan, Alabama. So, uh, you know, uh, things are really going to happen uh, down South in the next one. And we're going to have another great TV show to talk about, obviously, uh, because of all these new people and the results of the best card uh, uh, cards in American history. This Dothan card is another one of the greatest in the, in the history of the sport. And, uh, and we're actually I'm obviously going to have another record crowd in Dothan. Uh, 
And we're also going to dive a little further into the huge change of talent and what was happening that was going to change the future for Southeastern. And uh, we'll have another learning tree question to answer too next week, hopefully, anyway. And I want to thank everybody for joining us uh, and, and for helping us to create record numbers, man, for the last studcast. Thank all of you so much. Uh, and please tell you and your friends and neighbors about us. Take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.